We'll be looking tonight at Proverbs 19.11. Proverbs 19.11. We read there that the discretion of a man or of a woman or of a boy, or of a girl, the discretion of a man makes him slow to anger. Literally, it lengthens or postpones or defers his anger. And his glory is to overlook, to pass over a transgression, or some will translate it offense. So the discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. Let's have another word of prayer. Our God, again, we would ask for your help as we open your word and seek to profit from it. We thank you for the riches of your word. We thank you for how profitable it is to us and how it shines a light upon our path, even upon our sin and upon Christ, our Savior. And Lord, we pray, help us now. Give us help by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. We are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. And we are made with many different complexities, both of body and of soul. Maybe we often think of the complexities of our body, and they're truly amazing and wonderful, but we have complexities of soul. And one such complexity of our souls is our emotional life, what we might call our emotional lives. And that means we're not merely rational, thinking creatures, but God has put us together so that we are feeling creatures. We have emotions. So to be human is to have and then also to act upon emotions, feelings. And that means inward stirrings, or we could say movements of the soul. So we've considered, it's been a while now, but we've considered that Christ, being a true man, had a true emotional life. And you see that very clearly in the Gospels. We see it in Mark. You see that Jesus really had joy, sorrow, grief, compassion. That was what was most often attributed to him as far as his emotional life, but also anger. And it's marvelous for us to think about this, just to pause, to think about how Christ was sinless, not just that he never said anything sinful, or thought anything sinful, but that he never felt anything sinful. That in his emotional life, he was sinless. And how different that is from us. We know that sin has affected us down to our core. There's not a part of us, body and soul, that is not touched by sin and affected by sin. And that includes our emotional lives. So we sin in thought, word, and deed every day, but we sin in our emotions every day. Feeling things we ought not to feel and to the degree we ought not to feel them or maybe not feeling things that we ought to feel. Not feeling compassion or love or whatever it is or even anger at times when we ought to feel it. 
And then these sinful emotions so often give rise to sinful thoughts and words and deeds. They don't just stay internalized, but they move us then to sin with our bodies or our tongues, minds, whatever it might be. Now, many of us, I think, would find that one of the greatest fights on this front with our emotional life is with sinful anger and with its excessive manifestation, uncontrolled manifestation. And I confess to you, this is one of my great battles right now with this emotion of anger. One of the sins that so easily ensnares me, trips me up in the race of faith, to use that language in Hebrews 12. And am I alone in this? Or are there others here who struggle with this emotion of anger? So I say that because as I preach this tonight, I'm not preaching as one who has this figured out. I've mastered anger, and now I'm going to preach to you. I'm preaching to you because I need to preach to myself. This is very much a fight that I'm in, and I need the rebuke, the correction, and the encouragement of the Word of God. And I trust that for some of you, this will also be a helpful word. Now, I don't need to spend time, I don't think at least, convincing you that not all anger is sin, because we read very often in the Word of God that God is angry. He has a holy anger and wrath that burns hot against sin. Psalm 7, God is angry with the wicked every day. And we acknowledge that it's perfectly right for God to be angry against sin and against the wicked. And if he were not, it would be wrong. We could also cite our Lord's anger. We read about that in the Gospels. We see it in the overturning of the tables. It was a righteous anger that people had made the house of God into a den of thieves. So not all anger is sinful. But if we're honest, we have to say that our anger very often is not righteous. It's not a holy anger. It's sinful. It's excessive. It's motivated by pride and so on. And even when we're righteously angry, we have to admit, don't we, that we know that that anger is always tinged with some sin, some degree of sin. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about anger, and I'm not seeking to give anything like a thorough treatment of the subject of anger in the word of God. Clearly, it's a relevant subject, and clearly sins of anger are serious sins. Recall, for example, the connection that Jesus makes between anger in the heart. This is in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. He connects anger in the heart with murder, its ultimate manifestation. Our focus will be mostly limited here to Proverbs 19.11, the text that I just read. It's one of many passages in Proverbs on anger, and it's worth thinking about that simple thought. There are many passages in Proverbs about anger. Proverbs has to do, the dominant themes are wisdom and folly or foolishness. So if we were going to boil this down, we would say being patient, being slow to anger, that belongs to wisdom. And it belongs to the fear of God. We see that in Proverbs. And another thing that's very clear is that having a quick temper, being 
quick to anger and having outbursts of anger, this belongs clearly to folly or to foolishness. If we just recite a few of these verses, which I think are probably very well known to most of you, it will make this clear. So we read this, that a fool's wrath is known at once, but a prudent man covers shame. Proverbs 12, 16. A quick-tempered man acts foolishly. Proverbs 14, 17. He who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. Proverbs 14, 29. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. That's Proverbs 16, 32. Make no friendship with an angry man. And with a furious man, do not go, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. Proverbs 22, 24 and 25. And then the last one I'll give you here is Proverbs 25, 28. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. So those are just a few of the passages in Proverbs on anger. Well, let's look at our text Proverbs 19, 11, and like many of these Proverbs in this section of Proverbs, you have two parts, two parts here, and we're just going to take them in turn. So we're going to look at the first part here on the deferring or the delaying of our anger. And we read that the discretion of a man makes him slow to anger. So the deferring of our anger. Now, one thing's very clear, and that is that being slow to anger here is also clearly attributed to wisdom, because that word discretion is one of several synonyms for wisdom in the book of Proverbs. And you'll see several of those laid out at the very beginning in chapter one when it's speaking of the purposes of the Proverbs. So this is one of the synonyms, and it refers to wise dealing. It refers to prudence, or as the ESV and others translate it, to good sense. It would say good sense, that makes a man slow to anger. If you look again, as I said in chapter 1 at the purpose statement, we read this, chapter 1, verse 3, to receive the instruction of wisdom. That word there is wise dealing. It's related to our word. So part of the reason that God has given us Proverbs is to receive instruction in wise dealing, in discernment. And part of that reason is that we might be slow to anger. Now, this is an interesting word to think about. Just a couple examples. Abigail, Abigail, the one who had the foolish wife, in fact, his name Nabal meant fool. She was wise. We read that she was a woman of good understanding. That's our word. She was a woman of discretion. And we see that in the way that she handled that very difficult situation between her foolish husband and David. She navigated that with great wisdom. But I'll simply point out the supreme example of discretion or of wise dealing is the suffering servant of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. As we read in Isaiah 52, the servant song there, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. There's our word. It is a man's discretion or his prudence or his good sense, in a word, 
a man's wisdom, a woman's wisdom, a boy or a girl's wisdom. It's that which makes him slow to anger. And this is interesting, literally. It's that which makes long or lengthens his nose. This is a vivid Hebrew idiom. It's just translated anger here, but it's literally nose. Anger, as this is often translated, is also the word for nose or for nostril. Now, in Hebrew, just try to enter into Hebrew thought a little bit here. They think of things differently than we do. Emotions can be expressed by the act of breathing. But more than that, the association of the nose with the emotion of anger might be a result of a phenomenon that's long been observed by mankind, and you've probably noticed it too, and that's the flaring of the nose or of the nostrils, the dilation of the nostrils, that they widen when somebody gets angry. And there's actually science behind this, which is fascinating, and you can look it up if you like. I won't share that with you now. But there's been this observation that when this person gets angry, this person gets angry, we see their nostrils flaring. So there is the association of the nose and anger. So again, in Hebrew thought, if one has a long nose, they're patient. If somebody has a short nose, they're impatient. They're quick to get angry. So let me just, two examples that I read before. We read a quick-tempered man acts foolishly. Literally, a short-nosed person acts foolishly. And then he who is slow to wrath, literally long of nose, has great understanding. God declares, in fact, that he is long of nose, long of anger. In a passage like Exodus 34, 6, where he's declaring his name, Moses says, declare your name to me. He says, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering or slow to anger uh, and abounding in goodness and truth. He's saying long of nose, long of anger. And that doesn't mean that he's angry and raging for a long time, but that it takes him a long time to get angry. One person says the thought is that God takes a long, deep breath as he holds his anger in abeyance. And think about it. He does this even though his anger is perfectly just always perfectly just, and he's still long-suffering. Because you might think, well, if my, if my anger is righteous, and I'm angry about this particular sin that has been committed, whatever it might be, it's a righteous anger, then I don't need to be long-suffering. But no, God's anger is always righteous, and yet he is long-suffering. He is slow to anger. So I love this idiom. It's just so vivid. But this is where you want a big nose and you want to pray for a long nose because that's godlike and not a small nose. A short nose or a small nose, we would say in our idiom, you have a short fuse or a long fuse. The long fuse, it takes a while before you blow up. Not that you should ever blow up. But the short fuse is like the short nose, the quick temper, the hot-headed person. The key idea here revealed to us by the Spirit of God is really quite simple here in Proverbs 19.11. And it's that wisdom or discretion will cause a person to delay or to defer his or her anger. The wise person, and not to mention the godly person, will be slow to anger, but not necessarily without a battle. 
So when overcome with anger, and here I'm talking about just the inward stirrings. You're overcome with anger. There's that welling up of anger in you. You're, you're getting hot, burning. It is wisdom and discretion that stops and thinks and takes a long, deep breath. Discretion lengthens the fuse. It makes the nose long, the anger long, rather than give immediate vent to the inward emotion. That's the idea here. So the fool does not delay and gives immediate vent to the anger and blows up immediately. So not to defer our anger, it's the fruit of folly, it's even the fruit of the flesh. And Paul speaks of this in Galatians chapter 5, when he's cataloging the works of the flesh, or at least some of the works of the flesh, they're referring to our sinful flesh. He says that they're evident, they're plain to see. And he says they're these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and he lists some other things off, and then he includes in this list outbursts of wrath. Then he goes on. So outbursts of wrath is put in this list along with such things as adultery, fornication, and uncleanness. These are the fruits of the flesh. So not to defer our anger, to be quick-tempered, is the fruit of the flesh. Now, I read this on Wednesday, and this is part of the reason I'm looking at this. I was meditating on this already. So if you were here on Wednesday, you heard me quote Charles Bridges, who has an excellent commentary on the book of Proverbs. I don't believe I read this portion, though. But he says this, what is anger but a temporary madness? To yield, therefore, to its paroxysm, that means a sudden violent emotion, or action. So to yield, therefore, to its paroxysm, to act without deliberation under its impulse is to do we know not what, and to do what will surely bring work for repentance. And we've all, I'm sure, experienced that. Acting under the impulse of anger without deliberation, we have work for repentance. He goes on to say that an interval of time between the inward rising of the emotion and the outward manifestation of the anger is most important. The discretion of a man defers his anger. Mindful of his own infirmity, he will guard against indecent sallies or indecent outbursts of temper, taking time to weigh and careful not to overcharge the offense. Somebody offends you and you immediately want to overcharge it. He says, stop. You think and be careful not to overcharge the offense. So he says an affront, that means a personal offense, so an insult, a slap in the face. An affront, therefore, is the test. Whether a man has discretion or whether he is the slave of his own passion. This is very simple, but how practical this is to have this clear and simple wisdom from God, as we saw earlier. It's not rocket science, but it's very practical, and it's worthy of careful thought and even of self-examination, honest self-evaluation. How do I respond when I'm provoked? How do you respond when you are provoked? That's the test. That's the question. Now, it may not be an affront. 
may not be an insult. It may not be a slap in the face. It might be a set of circumstances that are frustrating. It might be some failure on your part. A bad shot at golf. That's the stereotype, right? Or possibly failure on the part of another that leaves you angry. It could be a disobedient child. And on and on we could go. We live in a fallen world, so there's going to be things that provoke us to wrath. In conversation, think about your conversation, talking with people. I find this especially difficult in face-to-face conversation, to defer our anger. Or when you're on the phone, when, when it's real time, there's that temptation to fire back. Somebody fires at you, And they're right in front of you, you want to fire back. It might be a little easier if you're hiding behind the phone, and you want to fire back. That's the temptation. Without any delay, without any deliberation, without any thought, you want to get even. Without even stopping to think about your response, without even stopping to think about the supposed offense, it might be a real offense, without even stopping to think about what would be good and right in that situation, the reaction is to fire back. So what do we need to do? Again, it's very simple. We need to guard our hearts. We need to guard our tongues. We need to know our weaknesses and be willing to own up to that weakness and recognize this. We need to pray for the Spirit's help in this. Maybe even if you know that you're going to have a conversation that might lead to this, you can pray in particular, Lord, help me, help me to be self-controlled. Help me to defer my anger. Help me, as we'll see, to overlook an offense. Now, for some of you, the difficulty might be greater if you're texting or emailing, if you're interacting with people on some social media platform. So for some, maybe it's harder in person. Others, maybe it's in this situation. So I would just say, before you hit send, Stop and think about it. Think about what has been said, what you're responding to, and think about what your response is that you have typed up. You don't have to send it right away. And just because you wrote it, you don't have to send it. Read your message. Maybe read it out loud. Step away. Go get a snack. Take a walk. Whatever it takes. If you are tempted to fire back. Because as you know, Sometimes hiding behind the screen, it's all too easy to let our anger erupt and you say something, you type something that you ought not to. Remember Proverbs 19, 11 here, that the discretion of a man or of a woman defers his anger. It makes him slow to anger. Now, parents, parents, how often are we provoked to anger by our children? Very often, they disobey, they sin in some other way, it's it's legitimate, they shouldn't do it, and there's often an inward rising of anger, not always, but there is anger, and what this text says to us as parents is that wisdom puts an interval between that emotion that rises up and the outward manifestation of our anger. We know that we're not to spare the rod. The Bible tells us that clearly. Proverbs speaks of that. It says, foolishness is bound up in a child's heart. 
So we should not spare the rod. We need discipline because of that foolishness bound up in our hearts. In fact, he who spares his rod hates his son, Proverbs 13, 24. He leaves his native foolishness, foolishness unchecked. But the rod is not to be used in an outburst of anger. It's usually best to discipline promptly. I have found this to be the case at least, especially when kids are little and they don't understand if it's a long time after the offense, they might not make the connection. So yes, it's usually good to discipline promptly, but it might be wise to delay or even to forego that discipline if you're too hot. So this is a word that's very practical. You can memorize this in probably one minute. Just say it 20 times and you've got it in your mind, in your heart. And next time you're provoked, you might be having a very good day. Everything's going well and something happens and you're provoked and you say, discretion, discretion makes a man slow to anger. So we have great need of discretion and wisdom in dealing with our children in a righteous and godly way. So let us learn to deal with them as God deals with us. He chastens us, but he does so as one who is patient. So the first part of our text, Proverbs 19.11, it leads naturally to this second part of the text. The two go together. The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. So let's look at the second part, and we'll look more briefly here at the overlooking of offenses. So we've seen the deferring of our anger, but now the overlooking of offenses. And at this point we see the great difference between God's wisdom and man's wisdom or worldly wisdom. Because what does the world say? The world declares that it's a man's glory to get even and to return insult for insult, to silence our opponents by putting them swiftly in their place, right? That's what the world exalts. But this is saying otherwise. Man's glory is to overlook a transgression. That's what God says. To overlook an offense. To pass over it is the language that's used here. And that's a thing which often requires the deferring of our anger or patience. It requires us to be long-suffering. So you see how the two are linked together. There's a real offense. There is some transgression. Somebody has sinned against you. You've been wronged. You've been treated unfairly. You've been treated shamefully. You've been ignored. You've been slandered. You've been hated in return for your love and your kindness. You have poured yourself out in serving somebody, and maybe they just totally disregard you. There's real offense. There is transgression. And into this situation, wisdom speaks and says it's man's glory to overlook an offense. It's man's glory to overlook the transgression. There's objections that come to mind immediately. You might say, well, are we just to be doormats and to let people walk all over us? Are we never to deal with an offense? And I would say the spirit of this text would be better to be a doormat than a hot-headed fool, or to be always demanding our rights. 
But I think this objection really misses the point of the proverb. We know there's time to deal with offenses. But I would say that as we're applying this text, it should teach us that we shouldn't be too hasty to deal with offenses. We need to think about it and consider the right, wise, and godly action. There might be times to confront somebody, even somebody in church. Matthew 18, 15 deals with this. There are times to do this. So this isn't saying never, ever, ever deal with an offense. There's times to do this. Times when it would be not faithful to a brother or sister if you see a pattern of sin or transgression to deal with them. But that's not what this text is about. On Wednesday night, we looked at how it was part of Christ's glory that he overlooked so many offenses. As we see him, especially in his passion. So in Mark 14 and Mark 15, that's the passion narrative. We see his suffering. We see his death. We see all that he underwent. We see the mocking, the spitting, all of these things. And it's no small part of his glory that he overlooked so many offenses. And that he bore those things silently. It's been said that Christ's greatest miracle was his so great patience in such great trials. Think of all that he suffered from wicked men. Sinless son of God. All things created through him. No evil, no violence in him, and yet wicked men mistreating him. And yet he was patient. Bridges says, and this I did read on Wednesday night, he says, let it pass for a kind of sheepishness, that means timidity, to be meek. He's saying, so what if people say that you're timid and you're weak because you overlook offenses? He says, let it pass for that. It is a likeness to him who was a sheep before the shearers, not opening his mouth. Quoting there Isaiah 53, 7. He says, it's like Christ to do that. So who cares what the world says if they call you weak when in fact you are being meek and Christ-like and patient? He says it is a portion of his spirit. Peter, who witnessed this glory of Christ firsthand, points to it as our example in 1 Peter chapter 2. And I'll read 1 Peter 2 verses 18 to 23. Peter beheld the glory of Christ. He saw the glory of Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration, but he also saw his glory as he silently was abused and mocked and whipped, spit upon. And he remembers this, and he speaks of it as our example. And here we have this in the context of submission to masters. Servants, 1 Peter 2, 18, servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example 
that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. So yes, we have those records of the anger of Christ, but what we don't have are records of him reviling when reviled. We have no records of Christ threatening when he's suffering and being treated so wickedly. We don't see any of that. But what we see is that he endured it and committed himself to him who judges righteously, to his father. So again, this is so practical and helpful to think of Christ, to think of this. When we're provoked to anger, and especially by some personal offense, some transgression, we need to remember, first, it's man's glory. That ought to encourage you to say, who cares what others say? God tells me it's my glory to overlook an offense. That in itself is encouraging. To overlook it, to cover it in love like a blanket. We need to do that a lot in the church. As we come here, the closer we get to one another, you know how it is, the offenses can come and we need to cover them in a blanket of love. But we also remember not only is it man's glory, but especially it's Christ-like. So reflect on this text, 1 Peter 2. Think about the example of Christ and what he suffered and how he suffered and how he committed it all to God who judges righteously. But think also that this is how God deals with us daily, with patience, overlooking offenses. We provoke God every day, even on our good days. We provoke God and he's so kind and he is so patient with us. Overlooking offenses, this is God-like for us to do the same. Now, I'm not saying that God ever takes our sin lightly. I'm not saying that he ever just sweeps sin under the rug. He can't do it because he is a just and holy God. So even there, as we're reading in Exodus 34, as I mentioned earlier, and it speaks of God being long-suffering and how he forgives iniquity and transgression and sin, it goes on to say, by no means does he clear the guilty. He can't just sweep sin under the rug and leave it undealt with. God is a just judge and God is angry with the wicked every day. That means every sin must be and will be dealt with. Every sin must be punished. The gospel is not that God won't punish sin, that he'll just ignore it and overlook it and it will be okay. That's not the gospel. That's not the good news. It's, it's that no sinner needs to bear the punishment himself because there's one who has borne the punishment for us in himself, in his own body on the tree. He who knew no sin became sin for us. There's a sin bearer. That's at the heart of the gospel. Not that God ignores it. And in fact, it's the cross which shows us how seriously God takes sin. God made a way to satisfy his own righteous wrath forever. 
and sending his son into this world and to die for sinners. So God doesn't overlook sin, but he's long-suffering. He's patient. And that ought to be an encouragement to us to do the same. So if we put it all together, the discretion of a man makes him slow to anger. It makes him long to anger like God. And his glory is to overlook a transgression. Not always seeking to get even. Not always seeking to return an insult or reviling for reviling to have the last word in the discussion. And just think about it. How many fights and arguments in the church, in the home, at your workplace, online, wherever it is, how much strife in the world would stop almost before it begins if people heeded this wisdom, this simple word of wisdom from God. If we would defer our anger and pass over transgressions. Now, as we think of these things, perhaps many of you think of how often you fail in this. And I would just encourage you, if anger or if a quick temper is one of your besetting sins, that you ought not to despair. You know the words of Paul in Romans 7. He says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul was very aware of his sins. But Paul didn't stop there. He didn't just wallow in that and say, I'm a wretch, I'm a wretch, I'm a wretch. He said, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So one of Satan's devices will be to take some sin, and usually a besetting sin, that you really feel your failure because again and again, you have battled this. We'll take that sin and we'll try to get you to look at that and bring that into focus so that the cross is out of focus and Christ is out of focus. But we need to remember, yes, we look at our sin, we deal with it as the Bible tells us to, but we never take our eye off of Christ who paid for all of our sins. We need to remember also there's forgiveness with God. None of us could stand before God if there wasn't, but there is forgiveness with him. So we ought to confess our sins of anger and other emotional sins, any of our sins, but in particular here, confess your sin of anger and hold to the promise of 1 John 1 where it says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So take that to heart. And also the fact that not only is there forgiveness with God, but there's healing with God. Because maybe your anger has damaged a relationship. Maybe there's a friendship that's done. Maybe it's been strife in the home. Maybe your children, and you think, well, it's, it's just too late. It's done. I can repent. I can confess. But damage has been done. But God is a God of grace and power and of healing. And be encouraged by that. Seek forgiveness and reconciliation if that still needs to be done and pray for the healing of God into that brokenness. And then also remember, remember the spirit that is in you. God has put his spirit in you if you're a Christian. And that's the spirit of Christ. Christ that we read about in 1 Peter when we see him how patient he was. That's the spirit. The spirit of Christ is the spirit that is in us. So we should never despair in any of our sin. So for some of you, and you think maybe of another sin tonight, you say, well, it's not anger for me, but it's this. 
The Holy Spirit is in you. And the Holy Spirit is working powerfully in you. And we are to walk by the Spirit and to be putting to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. God is at work in us. We must remember this too. He is working to sanctify us completely. He has set us apart as his own. And yet when he does that, there's a lot of work left to be done. He's still working. And your emotional life is one part of God's work of sanctification, sanctifying you in your emotions, that your emotions even would be conformed to the emotions of Christ, that they would be pure and holy and righteous, and that you would abound in self-control. So the spirit that's in you and is working in you, the spirit of sanctification, what's one of the fruit of the spirit? It's self-control. It's self-control. So you should be encouraged if this is a battle that you face. Let me close with the words of Bridges as he speaks of this. He said, if God create us anew, it must be as before when he first created us in his own image. Forbearance and forgiveness will therefore take the place of resentment and malice. Forbearance from a pure motive, passing over transgression in free love, this is a noble triumph of grace, most honorable to God, fraught with the richest spoils to our own souls. So may God help us by his grace all to be men and women and boys and girls who are slow to anger and quick to overlook a transgression. Amen. God, we thank you for this word to us tonight. We thank you for the simplicity and the clarity of the scriptures and how you so often point your finger upon our sins, but then also point us to Christ, your Savior, who bore our sins in his body on the tree. Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have in the battle of sanctification and we thank you that you intend to make us fully like Christ. We pray that we would take these things to heart. Those of us who battle with this sin of anger, that you would give us grace and strength and help. That we would be patient men and women. Those who overlook transgressions. And in this church, as we sin against one another, that we would be a church of peace seekers a church of those who cover things in love, that we might enjoy by your grace more and more and more peace in our midst. And Lord, again, we would pray and plead with you that there would be some who would have your wrath turned away from them, some tonight with your wrath abiding upon them, that they would be awakened in hearing these things, that they would not let it go in one ear and out the other, that they would know the danger they are in and how they have offended a holy God, but also how there's a way to be made right with God. And we pray, lead them to Christ tonight. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.